Happy Thursday. Welcome into NSN Daily. Alex Margulies, Chris Murray, Anthony Resnick at the helm. I'm Brian Samudio. Uh, big show today. Brandon Chambers, former Nevada assistant coach, going to join us here on the show, catch up with him, exploring our backyard. This is a place that I need to go to, Alex. Give us a little synopsis, 30 seconds of, of what you found. Yeah, Burning Falls. Uh, I'll get into more detail later, but I was inspired by Jim Snelling last week. He reminded me of this of this place, uh, Northern California. It's in Shasta County, uh, north of Lassen Volcanic National Park. And this it's incredible, 130 foot tall uh, waterfall. Um, it, it's it's a sight to be seen. I'd, I'd never heard of it until about six months ago, and it was definitely on my bucket list this summer. And decided to head out there this weekend, and it was it was absolutely spectacular. Very cool. I want to hear more about that. Uh, the GOAT Challenge continues. Sean Palmer against JaVale McGee. Um, Nevada has now an academic All-American once again, and she's a local, Julia Jensen. We'll talk about that. And uh, bet or no bet, how do you simplify the Olympics? Tokyo is trying to do that. I, I, we're giving up a lot right now. I don't want to simplify one of the grandest sporting events on the planet, but we'll, we'll see about that. Um, let's some football news, uh, Chris. We've got it on our website, uh, courtesy of your story. Uh, a cornerback out of Arizona has committed to Nevada football. Yeah, Zachary Lewis. He uh, plays for Hamilton High out in Chandler, Arizona. That's a very, very strong program and kind of shows that Nevada is putting a little bit more effort into Arizona, right? I mean, that was one of the big reasons uh, Jay Norvell made a change at the defensive coordinator position after the season is because Jeff Castile, as great as he was with X's and O's and player you know, wasn't known for his recruiting. He was an older defensive coordinator. And now Brian Ward comes in and you've seen Nevada make some uh, gains in Arizona, which is uh, the state that he grew up in. So uh, a couple of commitments from the Grand Canyon State, if you're looking at Lewis specifically, is a five foot 11, 180 pound cornerback. He actually was primarily a wide receiver until this junior season. And then in his junior season really blossomed uh, as a two-way player. He's going to play defense. I mean, he had 49 tackles. Uh, three interceptions and caught 23 passes, 408 yards as well. He had an offer from Washington State, Northern Arizona, and from Army. So uh, a few offers out there and uh, rated as a three-star recruit uh, on 247 Sports. He's the sixth commitment in Nevada's 2021 class. So Wolfpack making some pretty good progress. And it's actually pretty weird. Even though there hasn't been any on-campus or in-person visits, there's almost been twice as many verbal commitments uh, at this point in this season college football than last season. It seems like a lot of kids are making earlier decisions, maybe because they don't want to be left out uh, if these spots are being gobbled up uh, without those uh, official recruiting visits. Well, Alex, uh, just based on those facts, one, he had an offer from Army, which means he's got some good squash between the years. He's, he's a smart kid. The Army, uh, none of our service academies go out and recruit kids that aren't smart. Two, Washington Three, he's a defensive back, and that's been one of the knocks on every conference Nevada has played in, going back to the Big Sky, the Big West, the WAC, the Mountain West, is that defensive back is probably the weakest position in the conference because if you're an all-everything defensive back, you end up going to the SEC, you go to the Big 12, you go to the Big 10. Um, this is a good pickup. I like it just on paper. Yeah, and that's a position Coach Norbell has talked about since he got here that he really wants to improve and, and just stockpile. Uh, he loves loading up on defensive back and, and safeties and wide receivers, knowing that they're a little bit interchangeable. Uh, but I think this is one sign. I, I think I'm, I'm curious with Brian Ward and his connections in Arizona, you know, how much we see a continuation of guys coming out of that state. We have uh, seen guys in the past. Uh, Giovanni Miranda comes to mind in the last couple of years coming from Arizona. But 
really, I think when you look at Nevada's recruiting efforts outside of the state of uh, Nevada and California, obviously those are, those are two areas that they're going to hit heavily. It seems like the next two states that Nevada is most concerned with getting a stronghold in is Arizona. And then of course the state of Texas, coach Norvell loves going into Texas, especially East Texas, find big, tough kids. Uh, quite a few of their recruits the last couple of years have come from that area. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that recruiting strategy continues as really being those four states as being maybe kind of the first places they look and, and, and Utah as well. But uh, obviously trying to, to kind of broaden that region and not necessarily just focusing strictly on Northern California, Southern California, Central California uh, and paying attention and, and really trying to, to get a lot of guys up here from those two states as well. Yeah, it's, a, it's funny you may mention East Texas, as Coach Ravel affectionately calls it, Beast Texas. Javasio Brunson, Braylon Garcia, who were both freshmen last year, who saw action as true freshmen. And, you know, to see them develop is going to be very interesting, both from the same high school there in Lufkin in East Texas. Well, Major League Baseball uh, had its first day of a very abridged draft. Uh, Christian Chamberlain, Reno High School graduate at Oregon State, we did not see him go. In, uh, in the first day, Chris, uh, you know, I, I did not expect him day one. I expect him maybe to get a look day two. Yeah, I think he'll be drafted today. So there's 160 picks, so nothing's guaranteed, but he's largely considered, a, you know, more or less a consensus top 100 pick. Um, a lot of it comes down to signability. I mean, there are a lot of deals that are negotiated kind of beforehand. And if he has a certain number that maybe a team doesn't want to hit, maybe he does slip through the cracks and doesn't get drafted. But I would anticipate he gets his name called today. And it's got to be really nerve wracking just going through that process. I mean, you have no idea whether you're going to get picked by which team, how much money you're going to get offered, whether you're going to be going to college next year, whether you're going to be hitting the road to go to the pros um it just has to be exhilarating but at the same time exhausting just as you sit there uh and a lot of times as we saw on last night's show on espn these guys don't get calls beforehand uh, they don't know when their name's going to get called and you saw with the reactions um that even spencer uh, torkelson from arizona state who was the number one pick and everybody knew he was going to be number one overall until his name was actually called uh you know he didn't no, and he just kind of exploded with his family. And it was just really fun seeing a lot of these kids uh, see their dreams come true of becoming professional baseball players. And hopefully that happens for Christian at some point today. Uh, Alex, it was interesting to me, and we'll talk about this being the two Giants fans in the room. Uh, Giants went with a catcher in the first round. They end up uh, going after a left-handed slugging catcher. A lot of power. Patrick Bailey out of NC State, uh, four-year junior. Um, I, I saw one piece of video of him, and it was a home run, and I, I didn't appreciate the bat flip because he almost threw it in the stands. But where do you think the Giants are thinking right now? Because you've got Joey Bart. You have another minor league catcher that's a big prospect. Now with the, with the rookie here coming out of, out of college, what do you think the prospects are down the road? Yeah, I mean, just, just from my own uh, experience being around baseball uh, intensively for the four years that I was, I know talking to a lot of scouts and front office people, it really kind of has hammered home how important the catching position is viewed in the game. And I think there's a sense that there's really three positions you can never have too many of. That's catchers, shortstops, and center fielders. You build your team up the middle. Uh, and so certainly, uh, you know, the Giants are, are going to try to make that a position of strength. Uh, of course, if you have a lot of good catchers, that become good trade pieces down the line. You know, some of those guys can maybe move positions. Um, but I think there is just a certain kind of uh, knowledge of the game that comes from the catching position. There's a certain kind of skill set. Uh, that comes from that position that is is very, very valuable. And, and 
you know, maybe the Giants just felt like that was the best player available, regardless of, of it being a catcher or, or whatever else their need was. They obviously uh, really liked uh, what he had to offer, and, and we'll see what happens. Uh, going back to, to Chamberlain, and, and I thought this was interesting yesterday, you guys were bringing this up, this new uh, draft, is that for a guy like Christian Chamberlain, it, it, you know, him and many other players, they have so much less leverage than they have in the past. One of the biggest changes of this draft going down to five rounds is once you get past that fifth round, there's no guarantee in what kind of money you get offered. You could be a sixth round pick in the past or whatever. You could be a, a, one of those first guys after the fifth round this year as, a, as an undrafted free agent and get offered a, a pack of baseball cards and, and 500 bucks. You know what I mean? And, and that's, that's going to be a tough situation for ballplayers. And if for Christian Chamberlain, you know, he loses a lot of leverage because all of a sudden, like you said, if he doesn't get drafted this year, next year as a senior, even if he is super productive, there's no guarantee that he has to get drafted in those five rounds if they do that again. And now all of a sudden, uh, you know, the amount of money you can make uh, out of the draft is reduced significantly. So I think it does put a lot more pressure on players to kind of accept what teams are giving them this year as juniors, especially if you don't have that extra year to play with. Because once you become a senior, you have nothing else to negotiate on and, and teams are probably just going to tell you kind of take it or leave it. So it really puts uh, the major league clubs for sure in a better negotiating position, uh, knowing that there are less slotted guys uh, in the draft than ever. Yeah. We'll see what happens with Christian Chamberlain today is day two of the major league baseball 2020 draft marches on coming up next year on NSN daily, former Nevada assistant men's basketball coach, Brandon Chambers will join us here on the show. Always a good conversation with Brandon. We'll have that coming up. Welcome back to NSN Daily. Alex Margulies and Julian Delgadio joined by former Nevada assistant Brandon Chambers now at Texas Southern University with Johnny Jones. Had a chance to catch up with you earlier in quarantine, uh, quarantine excuse me, but I uh, wanted to bring you back in. Brandon, right off the top, some amazing news for you last week. Named a 2020 Under Armour 30 under 30 uh, in terms of coaches, uh, kind of rising stars in the game of, of basketball coaching. What did it mean to you to be included in that kind of a list? Well, first off, Margs and uh, Julian, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, you know, honestly, it was a huge surprise to me. I had no idea I was even nominated. Uh, they tell you the day before. They notify you that, that you're actually a recipient of the award. It was it was really special because that that – the NABC is the National Association of Basketball Coaches, so it's your coaching peers. I'm not sure how I was not nominated. I'm not sure who uh, picked me to be one of the top 30, under 30, and uh, I just was so humbled and honored at the same time because that, that list has been coming out for years, and uh, you, you, you look back on your career, and you're like, every year it comes out, you, you kind of look for your name selfishly, and finally it's on there, so... It just takes you back to those years that you weren't on the list and it humbles you a little bit because in reality, the list in itself is really irrelevant, but it is special in some regards because people do recognize your hard work. And this has just got to be such a special journey for you too. I mean, you've been to so many schools, obviously Nevada was your last one. You got a year under your belt here at Texas Southern, but the, the entire journey overall, just to get to this point, that's got to feel pretty special for you. To be honest, I've done a few of these podcasts or Zoom deals and people ask me about my career. I tell people I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I went to VCU as a regular student, kind of fell into coaching, was friends with some of the guys on the team. 
they kind of said, hey, you want to come out and be a student manager? I had no idea what that meant. Uh, and then two years later, my senior year, we go to a Final Four. Uh, you know, I was so naive that I thought every year you go to a Final Four. Um, and then I found out very quickly that the Division Three world is a lot different than the Division One world. Uh, I accepted a job at a small, small uh, Division Three school. It's actually in Dallas, Pennsylvania. I used to tell recruits that we were located in Dallas until the third or fourth conversation. I would tell them that we're in Dallas, Pennsylvania, not Dallas, Texas. Uh, and so, you know, four years of Division Three, four or five different schools. Uh, it, it is very humbling to look back. It's very special and unique to kind of think about your journey to, to get to Nevada and then now with Johnny Jones at Texas Southern. Brandon Chambers, former Nevada assistant now at Texas Southern, joining us here on NSN Daily. Uh, to say the last couple of months have been difficult would be an understatement, I think, for everybody. Uh, first, the quarantine. Uh, now, the, you know, there's a lot of national unrest and, and protesting and a lot of it for, for really good reason. Um, Brandon, what, what has it been like to, to try and be a coach and support your players during this time, first with, with COVID and, and then mo most recently with everything that's happening with George Floyd and, and all the Black Lives Matters? Uh, movement and, and just trying to, to do what you can to be there for your players? You know, it's been really tough. The last time I was actually just having a conversation, this conversation with another coach, the last time we saw our guys was actually in Birmingham at our conference tournament. And obviously with everything that happened with coronavirus, canceling conference tournaments, canceling basketball, uh, we fly back and you really don't know when the next time you're going to see them. So you're trying to figure out the, the fall or the spring semester rather and finish strong. You have your academic groups. You're, you're trying to touch base every day and just hear their voice or see their eyeballs on a FaceTime or a Zoom and, uh, and just make sure that they're safe. And then two, three months of that, now we get to a really, really uh, special time in our history of our nation. And, and obviously for me, being at a HBCU, a historically black college or university, most notably, it's actually one of the largest ones in the country. Uh, it's it's also something that hit home and it's been difficult because you just can't be there for your guys. And, you know, unfortunately, now this is the new normal, the Zoom or the FaceTime or the phone calls. Um, I'm just hopeful that within the next three, four weeks, we'll be able to find some sort of normalcy with the coronavirus and get our guys back and, and get back in the gym because that's always been a place that it doesn't matter your color, your race, your religion. Uh, it's always been a place that people can go and, and, and there's always a commonality or equality there. What have you just been doing to, to kind of stay busy and to prep? Because I know we are kind of inching closer to sports actually making that comeback. Obviously, the NBA has announced that they'll be making a, a, you know, kind of a shortened end of the season into the playoffs type of thing. College basketball is done for the year. But what have you been doing to just kind of stay in rhythm and, uh, and get your guys kind of ready for this? Well, I can kind of go through my whole, because I think we talked three months ago. Um, at first, I think for all of us, we kind of deal with this time period where we're, we always talk about, especially as coaches, we don't have enough time. Our, our career year to year is so cyclical. You know, our season ends, the final four happens. That's a great place for us all to get together uh, as coaches. There's a coaching clinic there. And then right after that ends, you're into transfer recruiting. You're finishing up your recruiting classes and trying to get the signing date by April 15th. And then right after that, it's right into summer recruiting. And you're trying to make sure your guys are all set uh, to come back to campus. And so for us, 
as coaches, it was a great period for me at first where it's just like, you really don't have anything to do. Uh, our recruiting class was already solidified, so I didn't have to worry about seeing this kid or, you know, calling this kid. We were already done. Um, and I, I think as a person, I think most people deal with human nature and complacency and kind of get a little lethargic uh, because you don't have to get up and go into work. Uh, you, because like I said, we don't have to finish out our recruiting class. So that first week or two, it was kind of you're, you're trying to restructure and refine the discipline to your day where you, you change your habits. You know, instead of getting up every day at 5.30 or 6 to, to beat traffic to get into work, now I have to figure out, okay, I don't have to get up that early. Do I, you know, should I get a workout in the morning? And, you know, now what time do I want to do some recruiting phone calls? Uh, you know, how do you balance that now, all your work stuff with significant others, friends or family? Uh, people that you may live with, whatever it might be. Um, and then also trying to find within that first two or three week period, okay, there's no really light at the end of the tunnel. How can I use this period to get better, not only as a person, but as a coach? And so for me, it's just been a kind of a daily process of, I had three or four things that I wanted to get better at, you know, financial literacy with the state of the economy, that was important. Uh, I'm actually from Italy. I was born over there. I lived there for seven years in Vicenza, Italy. Uh, my family is all from North Jersey. So trying to kind of reconnect with my heritage and my language. Uh, and then, you know, just professionally get better. You know, I, I think it's part of the, the nature of anything in life is once you kind of get your job, how much are you really doing professionally to, to get better? Especially for us as coaches, we're constantly trying to pour into other people's buckets every day, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, it could be your administration, your players, uh, former players, colleagues, whatever it might be. Uh, and so for me, it's like, okay, how do I now, who's pouring into my bucket? How do I get better? So now I can help impact other people in a, in a more beneficial way or, or a better way. Uh, so for me, I've been watching as many Zoom clinics as I can, coaching X's and O's, leadership, uh, and it's funny, uh, in the Wolfpack faithful, we'll, we'll know this name, but so Brandon Dunson and I, one of the former assistant coaches at Nevada, we've become best friends since our time together. And, and, uh, we, when this whole thing started, we started this idea cause we lost the, the, the final four, which is a big event for coaches to come together, network, get better. There's coaching clinics, different seminars, whatever it might be. Um, we lost that ability. For a lot of young coaches too, that's really important for their next step, whether it be a student manager, graduate assistant, or somebody else in you know the support staff role or assistant coaching role. And uh, so BD and I were talking, and and they were kind of finishing their recruiting class, and we just kind of thought of this idea: Hey, what if we get fifteen to twenty of our buddies together and maybe just network, have a guest speaker, and talk about some different things, and and you know try to connect some dots for for some people and uh, just be ultimate connectors during this time period. And we didn't know how long it was going to go on. We didn't know how, how many weeks we'd do this. Now we're, I think in week 16 or 17 and we've done it every single week. It started with, like I said, 15 to 20 buddies. And now it's grown to over a hundred. We've had multiple guest speakers uh, from mindfulness coaches, uh, mental coaches. Cause I do think there's an important element of staying healthy mentally uh, to college coaches in the business like Buzz Williams, Shaka Smart, uh, Bob Ritchie at Furman, Jamie and Christian at GW have come in and talked about leadership and communication, different things that they're doing with their program. 
Uh, we've had uh, Stan Van Gundy was on last week. Taylor Jenkins, NBA head coach of the Memphis Grizzlies, was on. Uh, authors like Kevin Eastman, Alan Stein, uh, and you know this week we have two great guys, Tom Crean and uh, and Michael Lombardi. So it it, it and honestly, I we didn't plan this. We don't market it. Uh, honestly, the only marketing we've we've really gotten is Fran Fraschilla was on one week as a as a guest. And, he put out a tweet and, and honestly that's the most marketing we've done. And so it's kind of been word of mouth and it's grown. It's been really cool because again, we didn't have that as coaches at that time period at the final four where you're doing these kind of things. So it's been really unique and cool. So anyways, long story short, that's what I've been doing the last basically three months. And uh, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to get back in the gym. It, it's, it's all great and fun. It's, you know, I've learned a ton. I've learned a ton professionally and personally. Uh, but I'm ready to uh, to start building some sweat sweat equity with our guys. Brandon, uh, one more before we let you go. Um, Jalen Harris, uh, a guy that you were very close with at Nevada, announced about a month ago that he was going to forego his last year with the Wolfpack. He was going to turn pro and and enter into the NBA drafts. Um, if if you were uh, approached by a team asking you about Jalen Harris and why they should pick him, what would you tell them about Jalen Harris? And why? Uh, he should get a chance in the NBA. Well, actually, I've probably had eight or nine teams reach out to me uh, about Jalen. And uh, what I would tell them is he's extremely competitive, extremely competitive. Uh, you know, the, the questions that they all ask are pretty relative and, and they're pretty common for every team to ask. They're, they don't change much or very much. Uh, and I always joke with them because they it's the same thing with the twins. Uh, they ask the same questions. Hey, what do they like to do on their free time? What do they like to do for fun? And I always joke with these NBA teams, like, guys, they really don't do anything other than play basketball. Like, they don't go out at night. They don't hang out with their friends. They go to the gym. They practice. They put extra reps in. They play their games, whatever it might be, and they just sleep and rest. They They don't have much of a social life. I don't know if that's a negative thing or a positive thing, but they're really just gym rats. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the one thing I, I, you know, I, I'm so happy for him and so proud of him. Uh, I thought with the coronavirus situation that, you know, it, it'd be tough with, without having NBA workouts. Cause I really do think if they did have those workouts uh, that he would impress some people. Um, sounds like they're going to have some sort of plan in place for, you know, draft participants, but um no, I'm just excited for him, and, and his competitiveness is elite, and he'll, he'll, he'll be on that stage for sure. Brandon, it's uh, awesome catching up with you. Uh, looking forward to seeing how your career continues to develop. Congratulations again on this uh, 30 under 30, and uh, hopefully uh, you get back in the gym soon with your guys, man, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Appreciate you guys. All right, we'll have more of NSN Daily coming up just after a quick break. NSN Daily rolling along on your Thursday. Uh, Thursday means exploring our backyard. And Alex continues to make Chris and I look bad by taking Sonny to some of the most beautiful places here in northern Nevada. Uh, this time you take her to a freaking waterfall, man. What, are you going to propose again? <laughs> hey, man. I like chasing waterfalls. I, I joked around uh, with the line, don't go chasing waterfalls. I don't know the context of that TLC song, but, like, why wouldn't you want to chase waterfalls? Uh, I think it's bad advice. I love chasing waterfalls. There's actually a lot of great waterfalls in our area. It's not something you really think of uh, when you think of this region. You really think more about lakes and rivers and hiking. 
Um, but there are, God, probably about a dozen amazing waterfalls in this region. Um, and Burning Falls might be the crown jewel of them all. Uh, it, it's, again, a place I really had never heard of until about six months ago. I'd seen a friend post a picture about it. But um, it's an absolutely gorgeous uh, state park up in uh, northern California, uh, kind of east of, of Redding, um, northwest of Susanville. It's about a three-hour drive uh, from Reno. So we uh, packed up on Saturday and, and, and drove up there and, and um, got there in the mid-afternoon. And, and it was just a sight to be seen, like I said earlier. 130 feet tall, um, at, at least that far in width. Uh, it was absolutely gushing, uh, gorgeous scene there. Um, can't recommend it, going up there and checking it out enough. And there's a lot of cool places to kind of check out um, between here and there. Uh, you know, on the drive, on the way back, we went through Lassen uh, Volcanic National Park, which still had a ton of snow, which I was a little surprised to see how much snow they still had at the upper elevations there. And uh, so we drove through there and then kind of swung back through Lake Almanor and then back through the Plumas National Forest. It became a, a really cool uh, little road trip for us this weekend. So it was gorgeous outside. And I got to thank again, Jim Snelling from, from McQueen. That's kind of his neck of the woods. And he was talking about that on our show last week about uh, Bernie and, and Bernie Falls. And, and that reminded me of that was a place I really wanted to go check out. And, and uh, the stars aligned to, to go scope it out this weekend. Chris, it makes you want to take a road trip. I mean, take tomorrow off and go for like a four-day four-day road trip. What, uh, what, with that interest, Dominic? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it seems like a really cool place. I was looking some information up on it, and uh, Theodore Roosevelt called it the eighth wonder of the world, and he was obviously a very noted conservationist. So uh, if it was good enough for Theodore Roosevelt, it's good enough for uh, us to go check out. Uh, 379 million liters of day pouring down the, the waterfall. Uh, seems like a really cool place, and I love the Shasta area. I grew up uh, houseboating uh, at Shasta Lake, um, basically every summer we went for kind of a family trip two summers ago and a ton of fun up there. So it's really a, a beautiful area. I've not been to Falls, um, but certainly uh, sounds like something that maybe we can do either this week or we can off to check out Alex's story and see if he completely sells me on making the three hour trip. <laughs> it's tough to sell Murray. It's tough to sell Murray on it. It's worth it. But, uh, it's worth it. Three hours, man. It's, 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 a, you can do it in a day trip. It's cool. Can you like it's picnic beautiful. or what are the activities? Is there yeah. hiking or you just go up there and look no. at the fall and No, so, so you get there and it's a big state park. <laughs> There's actually a big lake there as well. Um, but basically you can park and then you, it's a pretty gentle little walk down into the bottom of this waterfall. So you're kind of get it uh, right in front of you. And then from there, there's actually a loop trail uh, that loops all the way up and around the waterfall. It's about a mile. It takes like maybe 20, 30 minutes, really pretty walk down kind of the river that, that uh, dumps out of the waterfall and then up and around it. Um, unfortunately, their campground is not open right now to overnight visitors, but there were actually a lot of people there picnicking. They do have a bunch of little tables. So I did see some families kind of hanging out and, and enjoying lunch or a snack with their kids. There, there were quite a, a, a few people. So it wasn't the easiest place to, to kind of keep your separation and stuff. Um, quite a few people were out enjoying it this past weekend. Um, but it's definitely some, a place you could certainly spend a couple hours walking around. And like I said, I think, you know, and then you, as you kind of make your way back towards Reno, there's so many options of places you can kind of poke your head in. Uh, we even stopped just kind of randomly along the Feather River on the way back near Quincy uh, as the sun came out because it was really cloudy and, and raining in other parts uh, of the area on our drive back and, and just kind of pulled over and, and jumped in and went swimming in, in a really pretty little watering hole of the Feather River. And it just goes to show again and I say this all the time about our area there are so many places that uh, I haven't explored or even heard of and, and you just sometimes 
need to kind of just pull over and, and take a look at something and, and find something completely new. And it's one of the things that excites me about living here is on any, any given weekend, you can drive three hours uh, and be someplace totally different and new and exciting and, and, uh, and gorgeous. If you want to check out the details, Alex's story posted right now on our website, that's NevadaSportsNet.com. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, bet or no bet, the Olympics and the PGA Tour. We're going to have discussions about that after the break. It is Thursday. That means bet or no bet brought to you by Joey Gilbert Law. Um, we kick around topics, whether or not we think something's going to happen, whether or not we think something's a good bet or a bad bet. Starting off uh, halfway around the globe, uh, the Tokyo Olympic Games obviously were postponed because of uh, the pandemic. They're going to happen in summer of 2021. Now, the Tokyo Olympic Organizing Committee and the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, made the announcement this week that they are going to simplify the games, that the events will not be as grand as initially planned. They have identified more than 200 factors that can be altered to meet that goal, including reducing number of participants to the event, uh, committee member plan to finish the new competition schedule and venue listings by the end of the month. Um, I, know, I know we're in a, in a weird time, guys, right now, and we're talking about an event that's not gonna happen for a year. But to me, simplifying the Olympics, I was, are, you gonna, are you gonna kill the opening ceremonies? Are you gonna kill the closing ceremonies? I don't like the idea of limiting the number of participants. Well, Alex, what are your thoughts on this? So are we, what's the better or no bet? Uh, do you simplify the Olympics or not? Or do you just leave it away? I think you it might have, yeah, so I guess bet, yeah, I think you might have to. I mean, I think, I think the goal is to have an Olympics for them and they put so much work and energy uh, as a country uh, and, and as a city of Tokyo and as a country of Japan to, to put on this event. And I think um, they want to see some version of it take place. And I think they're just trying to be realistic as the world is changing right now that maybe the way that the Olympics has been done in the past is just not going to be feasible uh, in 2021. I think they're all hopeful that, you know, it can be as normal as possible. But I, that, that's, that's the best probably proactive thing they can do is try and figure out, okay, how can we still do this uh, even if it is maybe a slimmed down version of the Olympics. So I think that is probably uh, a smart course of action by them. If, even though it, it's unfortunate that it's going to change things, I think it's better than no Olympics. Chris, I mean, to me, uh, to me, I, I, I see the idea of limiting fans, limiting participants bothers me because you've got somebody from maybe a small country that has busted their butt forever in one sport and they get to a qualifying time or a qualifying height, or a distance in a throwing event or something. And, and how do you limit participants? Yeah, I would no bet that element right now because we're a year away. And, you know, it's, it's good to be precautious yeah. and have plans. But you're talking about people who spend their entire life for this dream. I mean, what comes to my mind is Krista Palmer, who very much deserves to be an Olympian. Uh, and I believe there are basically four slots coming out of the United States in the synchros, uh, synchronized uh, team dive. And if they cut that down to two, and let's say she finished second in qualifying and didn't get to make it, that would just be heartbreaking. Uh, you know, if you have to not do the opening ceremonies, not do the closing ceremonies, I can understand that a little bit more. But I, I would be uh, against uh, limiting the slots, uh, certainly right now, a year before these Olympics even happen. I mean, Japan's actually been fairly safe. I mean, who knows how many, uh, how, how much you can trust some of these numbers, but you're talking about 922 deaths in the entire country. I and mean, that's less than 21 U.S. 
itself. So, so far, it seems like Japan has been pretty uh, clear of COVID-19 cases. So uh, I would just uh, no bet the, the limiting of the field just because um, I, I just don't think it would be necessarily fair to, to do that um, and take away all of the work, literally decades of work that went into trying to make an Olympic team. Yeah, I agree on both sides here. I agree, Alex, that we have to be safe. You have to be precautious about this. And it's a new time. You have to look at, okay, how do you realistically make this happen? But limiting participants, what do, you, what do you cut the, say there's a field of 24 basketball teams that qualify for it. Do you cut it to 16? And now Nick Vizikas, who's become a naturalized citizen in Japan for host Tokyo, doesn't get to play. And I, 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 I don't like the idea of limiting stuff like that. Uh, second better no bet. PGA Tour is back starting today. It's going to happen at the Charles Schwab Challenge in Fort Worth, Texas. Of course, it's happening in Texas. Always happens in Texas. Um, guys, bet or no bet, I'll start with you, Al. Um, are you comfortable with all this happening right now? Are you comfortable with the PGA Tour Sands fans coming back right now? Yeah, I'm comfortable with it. Uh, we've seen sports returner all around the world. Uh, team sports where there's far more contact uh, like soccer. Uh, we've seen the Bundesliga kick back up. We've seen Korean baseball kick back up. I think it is time to resume uh, professional sports in the safest way possible. And I think golf is is really the easiest one to kick back up and to keep your social distancing and do all the different things that, uh, you know, the experts are saying to try and, and limit the spread of this while still being able to put on a, an event uh, for television. And I think, um, you, you know, I don't have a problem with it. Chris? Yeah, I would bet on that as well. I mean, golf is the perfect sport to be able to, you know, play during a pandemic. Uh, I mean, really outside of the caddies, there's not going to be a lot of close interaction. Maybe you limit uh, the amount of people that you send off. Usually it's four people when you first start, uh, you know, a tournament. So if you can, you know, keep it down to two people uh, and two caddies per hole, uh, I think you're safe and, and move forward. And, you know, you can integrate fans back in as the months go on. But it should be, you know, really, really safe. This is a sport to do it in. I'm going to go with that as well on this um, because if you've ever played golf and if you've ever played with Alex, myself, Chris, Julian Delgadio, you know that we use up a lot of the golf course. There's a lot of social distancing going on because half the time I'm over there, Alex is over there. We don't know where everybody's going to be and who knows where Julian's at. Better Know Bet brought to you by Joey Gilbert Law every single Thursday. Coming up next on NSN Daily, the GOAT Challenge. It's winter sports versus NBA. Sean Palmer against JaVale McGee. That's coming up next. The GOAT Challenge continues here on Nevada Sportsnet. Greatest of all time. We're talking about uh, sporting figures from our, our area, northern Nevada, Lake Tahoe region. And uh, this time around, a four versus a five seed. Sean Palmer as a four seed against JaVale McGee as a five. Chris, when I voted this morning, JaVale was winning this like 82% to 18%. Is that just name recognition because Sean was from you know, a, a little while back? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, JaVale's going to win this one pretty handily. And, you know, partially it's because of the sport that he played. More people pay attention to uh, basketball than pay attention to the uh, deluge of different sports that Sean Palmer uh, competed in. And part of it is that he's been – or, uh, to me, Nevada's best player in the NBA. I mean, I know Ramon Sessions had a really nice career, but uh, JaVale's been at a different level. He's won two world championships. He's been a you know starting level player uh, for basically a decade in the league at this point. He may win another championship this year with the Lakers. So he's really, really had a great uh, professional career. And when it's all said and done, this is a guy who's going to end up playing 15, 16, 17 years in the NBA. 
And I don't think a lot of people would have said that when he left Nevada after his sophomore season. A lot of people were not happy about that move, but he's really uh, proved that he is not only an NBA player, but a winning player, which was uh, a huge debate when he was, uh, you know, kind of the focus of Shaq and a fool from Shaq O'Neal kept making fun of JaVale because he would do some boneheaded things on the, the court. But uh, yeah, I know he's really been a tremendous basketball player. And I think if you encompass pro and college, you can make the argument he's the best basketball player to come out of Nevada just because he's what, what he's done at the next level. Yeah, it's it's funny the Shaq and the fool thing. Javale was easy to make. He's easy to make fun of if you don't you know don't know him or in, in, you don't you don't credit his physical gifts because you know you're seven feet tall and he can run the, down the court like a gazelle. He he he's a great you know rim protector. He can probably score a lot more if he was a little more selfish as as a player. But unfortunately, have my memory is sitting courtside at an empty San Jose State arena and him punting the basketball up into the 50th row. And I was worried somebody was going to get hurt, and then I realized there was nobody in the stands. But at the same time, that's what you remember about JaVale. But you have to, you have to respect the fact that he's won two championships. And this is a guy who really could have hung it up when he was with the Nuggets. Once he got hurt, he, could, he literally could have hung it up, and it would have probably been the most disappointing Nevada player to ever play in the pros. But – I, I see perseverance with JaVale. I'm going to give him credit there because he could have absolutely just given up because sometimes a guy will get hurt. He's got some money in the bank and will go, meh, I'm just going to go focus on, on doing whatever. He's had a music career. He, he's very, very much a philanthropist. You know, I've seen videos of him. There's a, literally a video of him from years ago where there's a homeless man sleeping on the sidewalk. JaVale pulls out a $100 bill and slips it into the guy's hand and, and gives it to him. So there is a heart underneath all of that. But the perseverance to come back from an injury like that and to then win championships and maybe another one, that's what's impressive to me. Yeah, I mean, and, and the philanthropy, I think, is something that's easy to overlook. I mean, he has a uh, yearly uh, softball game at the Oakland A's Stadium where a lot of celebrities come out and they raise money for getting water into areas uh, around the world that don't have water. And I think, yeah, it's really easy to overlook JaVale and just call him an airhead because he was a little ditzy when he played at Nevada. He would do some silly things and he was kind of curious, but he really has matured into not only uh, a great basketball player, he's a husband, like you said. He wrote a song for Justin Bieber's uh, latest CD, which was uh, you know, a hit song. Um, so he's done a lot of really cool things in his life. And, uh, you know, he's been able to, with, with all of those other interests, really been able to focus in basketball and become a very valuable 15 to 20 minute player, both for the Warriors when they were going through their championship runs. And most recently with the Lakers, where he's, you know, starting with the Los Angeles Lakers alongside Anthony Davis and LeBron James, two of the 10 best basketball players in the world. So um, yeah, he's really made a great career out of it. And, uh, you know, it's it, uh, a lot of basketball players in this sweet 16. So this is our last uh, matchup before we have the Sweet 16 fixated. Uh, if we can put JaVale through because he's winning by so much right now, that'd be five of the 16 participants are basketball players. That's the most of any sport. So uh, it'll be fun as we get a little bit closer to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight and you have really, really well-known names go against each other. Uh, you know, guys like Colin Kaepernick going uh, against a guy like uh, Chris Alt, his former coach. You're going to have Gabby Williams going against Luke Babbitt, two McDonald's All-Americans. So, uh, you know, I think the, the little competition that we're putting together is going to be even more interesting as we head into the Sweet 16 and beyond. All right, real quick. And I know that they're both different body types. They play different positions. If you're Nevada and you go back to your history, who do you want protecting the rim, JaVale McGee or Cameron Oliver? 
Uh, I mean, yeah, that that is a tough. tough one. I mean, you yeah, can even throw Ed, you could throw Edgar Jones in there as well. Yeah. I mean, obviously, didn't see him play. I think the thing that was special about Javel is he's seven foot one, but he's as athletic as anybody who's played for Nevada. You don't get that kind of athleticism in seven one. Most of those guys, uh, you know, they struggle to get up and down the court. And Javel had an asthma issue, and that kind of limited his minutes his freshman season. Um, but it, it's hard to pick anybody but Javel. I mean, this is a guy who's blocked ten or 10 has 10 blocks in an NBA game. One of the very few to ever do that. Edgar Jones actually also did that. And matter might be the only school with two alums to have 10 blocks in an NBA game, but I, I would give the edge to JaVale there. Um, I think Cam was a more versatile offensive player because of his shooting ability. Um, but I, I don't want to go against seven foot one, super freak athlete at the rim, uh, certainly at the college level, let alone the NBA level. Coach Challenge continues on NSN. You can make your voice heard and vote at NevadaSportsNet.com or on our social media at Nevada Sportsnet. Coming up after the break, some final thoughts and a local who is now an academic All-American. That's next. I want to thank Brandon Chambers for coming on the show. Of course, you can check out Alex's Exploring Our Backyard story on NevadaSportsnet.com and also uh, vote in the GOAT Challenge, Sean Palmer against JaVale McGee. Uh, Chris, great announcement coming from the University of Nevada. Um, an academic All-American uh, coming from the softball program, and that's Reed High School graduate pitcher Julia Jensen. Yeah, I mean, obviously a very, very strong pitcher for the Wolfpack program, but even more impressive uh, off the field. I know we had her in studio before all hit, and she talked a little bit about what she's done with the advisory council at Nevada. She's Nevada's representative in the Mountain. West Conference uh, as a member of that group, but a 4.0 while majoring in neuroscience. So uh, super, super smart kid. Uh, really proud that she's a local from Reed High School uh, and, and very rare. I mean, this is Nevada softball's first academic All-American uh, going back to 1986. Obviously, they didn't play for a certain stretch there, but uh, not only cool that Julia was able to do it, but also Lucas Weber was a COSIDA academic All-American first team honoree in football this year. He's a McQueen alum, so I think it's just really uh, unique to have two local high school kids go to Nevada and then become academic All-Americans at the college level. One quick story about Julia. We've got 30 seconds left. Going to Reed High School, very, very quiet personality, but she could get it done in the circle. Like you said, McDonald, or, All-American in high school. But she took a ground ball off the eye with, I think, an out or two outs left in the last inning of the regional title game her senior year. And she didn't get upset. She got mad and absolutely blew away the competition. Reed ends up winning regional title game. She was committed to Nevada at a very young age. I believe late freshman, early sophomore year, ends up staying and wanting to go to Nevada. Hopefully we get to see her back in the circle very, very soon. But congratulations to Julia Jensen. For Alex Margulies, Chris Murray, and Anthony Resnick, I'm Brian Samudio. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you on Friday.